Hi, and welcome to American Unicorns. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You are. That's good. For I'm, some... in your, I'm in your dining room. <laughs> For some reason, the metronome is going. Oh, and now it's gone. Um, Were we on time? <laughs> it was very distracting. So, um were you supposed to be speaking at a certain rate? Yes, I was supposed to be talking. <laughs> How was that going for you? Not great. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're live again from um, me in my dining room and Laura from her, my loft. her loft space. And um, we are continuing to work through... Our challenges and record the podcast and um, I, I'm finding it particularly uplifting to be recording through all this. Yeah, I think that's true because it speaks to a simpler time when we weren't quarantined. And we could both sit in my basement. Yes, and, and though we can't sit in your basement, we can think about your basement Uh and pretend to be there. Yes. It's very dark. The cats are there as well. Oh. Penny. <laughs> so. Bell no one cares about Bella. No. Poor Bella. So, oh, Bella. Laura, are you using this time, this quarantine time, to pursue anything interesting? Yes. I'm so glad that you asked. <laughs> Um, I went to Joanne Fabrics and bought some fat quarters so that I could start sewing surgical masks. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I found a pattern online that was made by a nurse. And so, um, I made one surgical mask and I gave it to Joe because he came over and had to fix my computer. And for payment, I gave him a surgical mask. I offered him a roll of toilet paper, which is now the currency of um, our world, this country, yes. mm -hmm. yeah, our world. Um, and he wouldn't take it. Ugh. But he's he so selfless. Yeah, he. I went to his house uh, earlier this week um, and used his squat rack to work out, and um, that was great. But, uh, and I brought him a roll of toilet paper as currency. That's great. We should all have a Joe in our lives. It's very helpful to have a Joe. Mm -hmm. He's our audio tech. Yeah. <laughs> and by audio tech, we stole all of his audio equipment and didn't yeah. tell him. <laughs> well, but also, if he hadn't fixed my computer, we would not be having this conversation right now. That's very true. This, this episode is dedicated to you, Joe. Joe! <laughs> She's just a baby. And what are you doing to brighten up your own life in this very strange and dark time? I I mean, my life is always crazy, so it's always full of many dogs and dogs of many colors. Um, oh. And so that's been interesting. 
And I have also decided to um, take up my violin again. Um, Wonderful. I played the violin from probably age six until probably age 18. And then I thought I was too cool for a stringed instrument. <gasps> like a fool. That's but, foolish. Yes. So um, I have picked it back up uh, 11 years later. And I'm trying to uh, work back up to my previous proficiency. Um, and I have a book of 101 Broadway songs to start working through. So How many excited. have you learned so far? Zero. I got <gasps> the book yesterday. So, oh! Yes. When it's a will new you frontier. Um, Maybe tomorrow. Can when will can you play a song on the podcast? Maybe maybe one time once we're back, you can record me. We can do a video and put it on the Twitter. Yay! I don't play any instruments, so I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> That's okay. You have great video skills. Ah, That's exciting. Yeah. Do your fingers feel like stiff and you have to like sort of get them limbered up um not really it a little bit mostly it's my chin that hurts from holding it up but um it's definitely all still there it's in me i just have to like like a cryptid i must unearth it yes from from where it is hidden from my brain exactly yeah so, but it's fun and it's, you know, giving me something to do. I was playing in the basement earlier or earlier and I asked Nick, who was upstairs, what he thought. And he said, and I quote, I heard violin sounds coming from the basement. <laughs> so, you know, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. My critics rave reviews. Captain Obvious. <laughs> so, but I, I'm really excited to um, be recording the podcast, and I feel really fortunate that we're able to figure this out and and be here. And I'm extra, extra, extra excited for what we're going to be discovering today. And we're staying in country today. Yes. But what, I, what we're exploring has has been a phenomena across the world. What? Yes. So today, and I got this, I got this idea, man. It came to me in a dream. It was so great. And then COVID hit, and I was like, motherfucker, uh, I want to do this. I'm going to be really pissed if I can't. So what we're exploring today are globsters. What? Do you know what a globster is? It's not a lobster. (laughs) Is it a lobster that globs things? Like globs onto things? So a globster. Or a glamour glamour lobster? Yeah, a very glamorous lobster. Like one that's been on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, where it has like a lot of sequins. Yes. Ah, Yes. And the dogs are joining us again. They got excited when you mentioned RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> it is their favorite show. Um, so a globster or blob is an unidentified organic mass that washes up on the shoreline of an ocean or other body of water. 
what? Yeah. So have you ever seen like where they like a mysterious blob washes up on the beach? Yes. So they're called globsters. I didn't know that they had a name. I just thought they were like I sacks know. Of, of grossness. So um, a globster is distinguished from a normal beach carcass, you know. Your normal beach carcasses. Sure, sure. Um, Because they're hard to identify, um, and a lot of controversy gets stirred up as to the identity of the blob. So the term globster was coined by Ivan T. Sanderson in 1962 to specifically describe the Tasmanian carcass of 1960. This... Globster was said to have, quote, no visible eyes, no defined head, and no apparent bone structure. And so other people just called it a blob, but he was like, it's a globster. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so many globsters have initially um, been thought to be giant octopuses, um, but they often turn out to be the decaying carcasses of whales or large sharks. Um and so, like, the Chilean blob of 2003, one of the most recent globsters, um, was a mass of whale blubber that was released from a decaying whale corp- corpse. So, like, Bro. just the blub- blubber part is like, bye. And then it's like, I'm going to get my tan on on this beach. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine it smells like coconut oil. It does. It smells delicious. Yummy! Um, other globsters have been thought to be dead pleosaurs. Oh! However, they usually turn out to be the decaying carcasses of basking sharks. Oh! Um, and there's just other remains that are unexplained. Most people think that they're giant and colossal squids. Um, but you know, they're they're That's just blobs. Not a globster. Um, and often globsters are examined um only after they have de- decomposed too much um to kind of examine. Um, I picture them being sort of like clear and gelatinous. I don't think they're always clear. But okay. they're very gelatinous. Um, the um, Canadian scientists did analyze the DNA of the Newfoundland blob, blob or Newfoundland blob, which revealed that the tissue was from a sperm whale. So um, they like to use this to um, compare it to other globsters. So um, they try to get viable DNA if possible, but. They can't always. So that's your backstory on globsters. Um, and now we're going to delve into one of my, my preferred and, dare I say, favorite globster. Oh, wow. Bold statement. I know. I think it will be your favorite, too, once we conclude. Oh! <laughs> um, which is the St. Augustine Monster. St. Augustine, as in Florida. Yes, your hometown. State. I don't. I was not <laughs> from St. Augustine. Trust. State. That's state. where the. That's where the. Um, the Fountain of Youth is. Oh, 
Maybe Pope that's why Leon, the, the lobster was the there. Fountain of Youth, and he uh, supposedly found it in Saint Augustine. Yeah, well, there's some, Florida, there's some Florida facts for you. Yes, it's been Florida Fact Corner. <laughs> You're welcome. So, um, this was um, a large carcass that washed ashore in the United States near Saint Augustine, Florida, in 1896. Now, that was a long time ago. It was. Were you around then? Were you in Florida? I was. I was just a tiny bird then. (laughs) So now we will begin with what I have titled The Initial Stranding. Oh. The carcass was first spotted on the evening of November 30th in 1896 by two young boys, Herbert Coles and Dunham Quarter, while bicycling along Anastasia Island. Um, the mass was half buried in the sand and was sunk um, into the sand because of its immense weight. The boys thought the carcass was the remains of a beached whale um, because a similar stranding had happened two years earlier near the, near the mouth of the Mantazas River. Um, located several miles to the south of St. Augustine. So the boys returned and they were like, and reported their discovery to the local physician, Dr. DeWitt Webb. Um, Webb was the founder of the St. Augustine Historical Society and Institute of Science. And he came to the beach the next day to check out the remains that the boys had found. Um, He is believed to be the only person with an academic background to see the specimen in situ during this initial training. Yes. Um, his first impressions was that it was the remains of an animal that had been extremely mutilated and in a highly advanced state of decomposition. The carcass was very pale pink, almost white in color, with a silver reflection in the sunlight. Hmm. Um, It was composed of a rubbery substance that had a very hard consistency, um, and they said it was very difficult to cut, so they gave it a knife test. Nice. As you do. Step one, poke it. Step two, cut it. Um, The part of the carcass that was visible above the sand um, measured 18 feet in length and 7 feet in width. That's pretty big. Yeah. Um, he estimated the weight to be nearly five tons, if not more. Holy crap. And he thought that it was the remains of a giant octopus as it appeared to have the stumps of four arms with another arm buried nearby. So. Arm stumps. Arm stumps. Um, later, a few days later, um, he engaged two hobbyists, Edward Von Horn and Ernest Howitt, to photograph the carcass for posterity. Um, at least two photographs were taken, one of the lateral view and one of the anterior view. Those are science terms. I can see that with science eyes. Yes. Um, and it was showing the apparent arm stumps. Um, my stumps, my stumps, and my they also, arm stumps. <laughs> they also took one with a, a photo with a man for scale. It's important. Man scale. 
Um, as the images ended up being overexposed, quotes, conspiracy, they were never published. Um, they thought these photos were lost for a long time, um, and they only had drawings that had been done by Atheist Hyatt Virrell um, that had been public- published in the American Naturalist of eighteen uh, of April um, 1897. Um, however, one of the original images showing the lateral view was obtained in 1994. Um, and it is... Cl- clear that one of the drawings was based on this photograph um so there is evidence that has been um resurrected um around the same time um a man named mr wilson wrote a memorandum to webb you've always got to put it in a memo it's very put it in a memo (laughs) um communicating the results of his observations that he had made um, after having dug around in the corpse. Gross. It's gross. Sicko. So he said, quote, one arm was lying west of the body, 23 feet long. One step of an arm about four feet long. Three arms lying south of body and from appearance attached to same Although I did not dig quite to body as it laid very well down in the sand and I was very tired. That's what happens when you start digging around in a globster. Ew. Um, Largest one measured over 23 feet and the other arms were three to five feet shorter. Hmm. Um, On the first days of December 1896, Dr. George Grant, who owned a hotel at South Beach on Anastasia Island, wrote a short article describing the carcass. Everyone wanted to talk about the carcass. <laughs> the um, article was accompanied by a picture of the, quote, sea monster depicting a tentacled creature with a tail. Um, Grant's description was as follows. Um, the head is as large as an ordinary flour barrel, you know. An ordinary flower barrel. Just a regular unit of measurement. <laughs> Laura, how many flower bar- barrels tall are you? Five. <laughs> That's very tall. Thank you. Um, I've been working out. Yeah. Gives you height. The power of flower. Yes, the power of flowers. <laughs> you got flower power. Yes, peace like, out, bitch. Flower. Um, so its head is as large as an ordinary flower barrel and has the shape of a sea lion head. The neck, if the creature may be said to have a neck, that's rude, is of the same diameter as the body. The mouth is on the underside of the head and is protected by two tentacle tubes about eight inches in diameter and about 30 feet long. These tubes resemble an elephant's trunk and obviously were used to clutch in a sucker-like fashion any object within their reach. Obviously. Obviously. I always go to owners of beach hotels to give me hard-hitting scientific facts. <laughs> How dare you judge my trunk tickles. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, another tuber tentacle of the same dimensions um came out of the top of the head uh, two others one on each side protruded from the body but on beyond the monster's neck and extended fully 15 feet along the body and beyond the tail 
The tail, which is separated and jagged with cutting points for several feet, is flanked with two more tentacles of the same dimensions as the others and 30 feet long. The eyes are under the back of the mouth instead of over it. The specimen is so badly cut up by sharks and sawfish that only the stumps of the tentacles remain. The pieces of them were found strewn for some distance on the beach, showing that the animal had a fierce battle with its foes before it was disabled and beached by the surf. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so they said it's interesting that he describes seeing seven tentacles and a tail. Um, and if we think that this tail is also a tentacle, it would give it eight. So that would be an octopus as opposed yeah. to a squid. Um, if we're, I mean, if we're splitting tentacles right now. If what, and I always do. Yeah. Um, and uh, nothing in the description indicates the presence of these long feeding tentacles found in squid um, because all the tentacles are said to be the same dimension. So from these reports from the initial beaching, they think, you know, people were thinking more along the lines of octopus. Yeah. But like some gigantic, like the king of octopuses. Right. So why wouldn't they just say, oh, it's a it's an octopus and not a globster? Because the plot will thicken. I see. Do you see how many pages I'm holding up? No. So many. Many pages. So, you know, everybody is like getting out there. They're they're poking around in it. They're digging in the sand and, you know, writing up their own descriptions of what they think it is. And then between January 9th and January 15th, a storm tide dragged the carcass out to sea. But it washed ashore again on the next tide onto Crescent Beach, two miles to the south of its original location. Oh, damn. Um, Webb sent photographs of the mass along with his description to Joseph Asaf Allen of the Museum of Comparative Zoology at Harvard. Um, he apparently did not respond um, but his letter came to the attention of a professor from Yale, um, at, who at the time was the foremost authority on cephalopods in the country. Um, they, they, he at first, uh, this was a professor Addison Emery Verrill. Um, Verrill first suggested that the carcass might represent the remains of a giant squid. Um, and in a, uh, art American journal of science article from January of 1897, he wrote, quote, the proportions indicate that this might have been a squid-like form and not an octopus. The breadth is evidently that of a softened and collapsed body and would represent an actual maximum diameter in life of at least seven feet and a probable weight of four or five tons for the body and head. These dimensions what? are decidedly larger than those of any of the well-authenticated Newfoundland specimens. It is perhaps a species of... Archaeotis? Sure. Yep. Did it. Um, He then soon changed his mind about the identity of the creature um, and wrote that he then thought it was indeed that of a giant octopus. Um, The article in this article, he stated, quote, its head was nearly destroyed and only the stumps of two arms were visible. The body as it lies somewhat embedded in the sand is 18 feet long and about 7 feet wide 
while it raises three and a half feet above the sand. The weight of the body and the head would have been at least four or five tons. If the eight arms held the proportions usually seen in smaller specimens of the octopus, they would have been at least 75 to 100 feet in length and about 80 inches in diameter at the base. What? Yeah. Nuts. Freaking huge. <laughs> um, later on January 16th, um, the Tattler, a local news sheet... <laughs> Yeah. Um, ran a story about the strange creature and it um, restated his original identification of the carcass as a giant squid. Um, I thought the tattler was the um, newspaper from Harry Potter. Um, keep coming up. I don't, yeah. Harry Potter, it's everywhere. Um, in this article, the creature was described as, quote, the widespread interest in the very remarkable specimen of the giant squid, squid, octopus. So much controversy. Controversy! Now, now lying on the beach a few miles below the city is mainly due to its enormous size. It is believed to be the largest specimen ever found. Its great size and immense weight have thus far prevented its being moved for a more careful examination. A dozen men with blocks and tackle not being able to even turn it over. Another effort will be made with more extensive apparatus by which it is hoped to drag it from the pit in which it now lies and placing it higher up on the beach so that a careful and thorough examination of the interests of science in the interests of science can be made and the exact species determined. Professor Verrill of Yale and Professors True and Dale of the Smithsonian are in constant correspondence with Dr. DeWitt Webb, president of the St. Augustine Scientific Literary and Historical Society. In so regard a bunch to of it. Smart, a bunch of smarty pants. <laughs> yes. The smarty pants Avengers have assembled. Yes! <laughs> Several photographs have been taken of it, but owing to its position, these have not been satisfactory. Mrs. John L. Wilson believes it to belong to an extinct species. Oh, Mrs. John L. Wilson, you're so smart <laughs> and pretty. Its hide is three and a half inches thick, and its head is covered by a hood that prevents examination. Apparently, it is a mass of cartilage and may have been dead in the water many days before it washed ashore on Anastasia Island. Um, huh. And then, in February... The American Journal of Science, uh, in the American Journal of Science, Vero even gave the animal a scientific name, Octopus Gigantus. Yeah, it's a giant octopus. Um, he also added that, quote, it is possible that it may, may be related to Caratitis and that in this case, the two posterior stumps looking like arms may be the remains of the lateral fins, for they seem too far back for the arms unless pulled out of position. On the other hand, they seem to be too far forward for fins, so they are probably arms twisted out of their true position. Gross. Yeah, ouch. Dislocated tentacle arms. Grody. Um, so... They then started to examine samples, and they concluded that the creature couldn't be an octopus. Um, <laughs> sorry, man. Um, and suggested... I don't even know where they are. They, like, run out of my reach. Um, 
<laughs> so they they concluded that the creature couldn't be an octopus and that the whole mass rep- represented the upper part of the head of a sperm whale detached from the skull and jaw. Oh my god. Um they then decided to move the carcass further inland so it would not be lost to sea. So with the help of six horses and strong tackle, it was moved several miles closer to St. Augustine to the terminus of a railroad where it was protected from the tide and drifting sand. Um, its final resting place was South Beach, Anastasia Island, near the hotel of Dr. George Grant. The St. Augustine carcass then became what we love in America, a tourist attraction. Oh, God. And was visited by large numbers of people. Um, it is unknown what actually happened to the carcass afterwards. Um, photographs of the St. Augustine carcass um, were thought to be lost, and people thought that there were only these, you know, drawings that remained. Um, but they were finally um, rediscovered in an album um, by Marjorie in 1993 by Marjorie Blackener of California, um, and the Van Lockwood, one of the original photographers of the St. Augustine Carcass, kept an album of fo- photos he had taken between 1885 and 1899. Upon his death, this was bequeathed to the St. Augustine Historical Society and Institute of Science, and later fell into the possession of Marjorie Blackner. So she's the one who found these um this thing of original photos wow um so the the now this you know this has happened everybody's super pumped um including mosby who's playing with the puppy right now even though he's never played with the puppy in his life um he's inspired come here mo come here he's inspired by the globster he's so pumped about globsters because he thinks it's lobsters, but it's not. He it's wants lobsters. to eat it. So <clears throat> now, you know, there's been over many years, many um, analyses, analyses, analyses that have been done. Um, and the St. Uh, Augustine carcass was largely forgotten until 1957. When Dr. Forrest Glenn Wood, a curator at the Maryland, uh, Marineland of Florida and a founding oh. member of the International Society of Cryptozoology, became interested in the story after finding a yellow newspaper clipping mentioning the creature. Um, the newspaper clipping was titled Facts About Florida. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it described that... Um, in 1897, portions of an octopus said to have been more gigantic than any ever before seen were washed up on the beach of St. Augustine. Professor Virrell of Yale University, who examined the remains, which alone reputed, reputedly weighed over six tons, calculated that the living creature had a girth of 25 feet and tentacles 72 feet in length. Um, he then learned that a sample of the um, creature was preserved in the Smithsonian Institution. And persuaded the curator to send a portion of the sample to his colleague, Dr. Joseph F. Gennaro Jr., a cell biologist at the University of Florida. Gennaro compared the connective tissue of the St. Augustine carcass to control specimens from known octopus and squid species. He published his findings in the March 1971 issue of Natural History. 
It said, Now differences between the contemporary squid and octopus samples became very clear. In the octopus, broad bands of fibers passed across the plane of the tissue and were separated by equally broad brands arranged in a perpendicular direction. In the squid, there were narrower but also relatively broad bundles arranged in the plane of the section, separated by thin particles of perpendicular fibers. It seems I had found a means to identify the mystery sample after all. It, I could distinguish between octopus and squid and between them and mammals, which display a lacy network of connective tissue fibers. After 75 years, the moment of truth was at hand. Viewing section after section of the St. Augustine samples, we decided at once and beyond any doubt that the sample was not whale blubber. <gasps> Further, the connected tissue pattern was that of a broad bands in the plane of the section with equally broad bands arranged perpendicularly, a structure similar to, if not identical with, that in my octopus sample. The evidence appears unmistakable that the St. Augustine sea monster was in fact an octopus, but the implications are fantastic. Even though the sea presents us from time to time with strange and astonishing phenomena, the idea of a gigantic octopus with arms 75 to 100 feet in length and about 18 inches in diameter at its base, a total spread of some 20 feet, is difficult to comprehend. Do you yeah, find that difficult to comprehend? That is cray-cray. Yeah. As cray-cray... As the squeaky toy I'm about to take away from the dog. No, don't do it! Now, there was other analysis done, um, specifically in 1986. Um, Roy Mackle, a biochemist at the University of Chicago, decided to test the samples for himself. In an issue of Cryptozoology in 1986, he wrote, quote, Gennaro compared out comparative histo logical examination of the tissue and concluded that it most resembled contemporary octopus tissue. While these hmm. results were highly suggestive. <laughs> you can't just compare tissue. Further biochemical work was required for an unambiguous identification of the tissue. Mackle tested the samples of the St. Augustine carcass for different amino acids and compared the results with the known amino acid composition of the tissues of a spotted dolphin, a beluga, a giant squid, and two species of octopus. He published his findings in Cryptozoology, um, and they were, quote, on the basis of Gennaro's histological studies in the present amino acid and CU and FE analysis, I concluded that to the extent of the preserved O gigantus tissue is representative of the carcass washed ashore at St. Augustine, Florida in November 1896. It was wow. essentially a huge mass of collagenous protein. Collagenous protein. Right. It had collagen. There's protein the spoon. and collagen. Yummy. Certainly the tissue was not blubber. I interpret these results as consistent with and supportive of Webb and Virel's identification of the carcass as that of a gigantic cephalopod, perhaps probably an octopus, not referred, referable to any known species. So we've got double octopus. But like double octo. Oh, gigantus, you know. Oh, gigantus. So there was another one. 
done in 1955 um, where samples of the St. Augustine carcass were examined. Um, they were subjected to electron, electron microscopy and biochemical analysis in what was the most thorough examination of the preserved material to date. The results of the analysis published by the Biological Bulletin disputed the earlier findings of Gennaro and Mackel. These are shown in the following table, which had um, a whole bunch of science facts that I didn't, wasn't going to share. Um, and they found that the samples were found to be masses of virtually pure collagen and not to ha and don't have any biochemical characteristics of invertebrate collagen nor the collagen fiber arrangement of octopus mantle. The results suggested that the samples are, quote, the remains of the skin of an enormous warm-blooded vertebrae. Oh, the what? authors concluded that there is no evidence to support the existence of octopus gigantis um, and that they believe the carcass was nothing more than the remains of a whale, likely the entire skin um, and nothing more or less. Ew. Yeah. So like a giant whale skin suit. Ew. Ow. So... It's very interesting. Um, you know, you have competing scientific facts in this one. Um, it's crazy. What do you believe? Um, I believe it's a giant octopus. Like, that's crazy. What do you believe? Well, but why do they call it a globster and not an like giant octopus? Because globsters are just like... A, a you know a classification of shit that washes up on the beach so oh. it was a globster potentially decided that it was this you know ultimately determined that it was this giant octopus this undiscovered giant octopus well in having lived in florida for a long time i could tell you that like shit washes up on the beach all the time that is sort of like this big Disgusting. pile like condoms. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> condoms and like used needles and stuff, but also just like shiny, oozy globs, like a jellyfish or like just like sh you've, slimy you've seen weirdness. Giant, gooey, oozy globs. I mean, grape green gobs of greasy, grimy gopher guts. <laughs> gopher guts. I love that book. So, yeah, it's interesting. I love the idea of a giant octopus who's just like with a, like, you know what? You know what an octopus has? A fucking beak. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. This is very interesting. I love the name Globster. Yeah. The glamorous lobster. <laughs> oh, he's such a globster. He's yeah. such a globster. I think it's really interesting. And, you know, I think. There's so many of these globsters and, you know, some of them are, you know, figured out and some people still don't have any clue what they are. They're yeah. just this, you know, mysterious mass that washes up. And but I mean, if there were giant octopuses that got Octopus in fight I. that got in fights with sharks and sawfish, um, I mean, why not? Why not Florida? It was just well, it would have to be full. Well, and and Saint Augustine is off the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, it is interesting. So everybody can just chill the fuck out. It was a kraken. Oh no! What yeah. if it was um, Lord Cthulhu? It was Cthulhu. 
Maybe it was Lord Cthulhu, like someone had displeased Lord Cthulhu and he set his wrath upon this creature. And then its punishment was to be dragged onto some railroad tracks and have a bunch of Florida tourists take their picture with it. Yeah. Imagine the smell, the smell of vision of that situation. It's not good. It's not Not a good look. It's not, it's not a cute look. Nope. It is not. So, uh, you know, I, I made some bold claims at the beginning of this, that this was my favorite globster. Um, do you have any feelings? I mean, I feel like it's a tremendous globster. Um, if you want to go to St. Augustine, I will go with you. We can stop at the Fountain of Youth, uh, take a dip, and uh, look f- hunt, look and hunt for globster remains. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I mean you're never going to see you're never going to see a globster in the wild. Right, like a giant octopus. Like that's not going to happen. They live in the deep, 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 deep areas, and they're not going to come up for for anybody. They're just going to be like, "Fuck you." Yeah. So, but yeah, I just I think it's all of this is fascinating. Like the stuff that washes up on beaches from the ocean totally. is just like crazy. Well, and it's just like that giant. Um, the giant squid that is is known, right? Like they that they thought that was a cryptid. They didn't mm-hmm. understand it, and then like, but it's real. Like it's you can see a giant squid in a museum. Yeah, and apparently you can see lobster specimens there too. Mm. Hmm. Very interesting lobster. Yeah. So that is the um, twisted. And many beaching tale of the St. Augustine monster slash globster. As told by you and your dogs. Yes. With musical accompaniment by my very annoying dogs. They're wonderful. And I cannot wait until we are out of this COVID crisis quarantine and we can get back to our normally scheduled dogs barking in my basement (laughs) i think we've got a while to go well we'll keep on keeping on and we hope you keep on keeping on too and you know in the meantime i mean you got nothing else to do so keep it weird people